0: Many critics of the current U.S.-Afghanistan policy often point to misadventures in years past by foreign troops in Afghanistan. Go back to the Soviet invasion in 1979 or go further back to the 1830s. Britain was trying to protect its sizable investments in India, and occupying Afghanistan was one way of doing it. Uh, Diana Preston, that didn't work out very well, did it?
1: No, it didn't. It started off reasonably well. You know, the British, as you were just saying, decided on regime change in Afghanistan because they were were worried that the Russians were going to come storming in through Afghanistan into British India. So they wanted to make sure that they had a ruler on the throne in Kabul who suited them. So what happened was they went marching in, deposed the existing very capable ruler, put their own candidate on the throne, and then very soon after that, it all started to fall apart. So what had gone very easily in the first instance then um, became a very difficult and hazardous situation.
0: Now, Diana Preston, you've just written a book, The Dark Defile, Britain's Catastrophic Invasion of Afghanistan, 1839 to 1842. We're talking about the first Anglo-Afghan war. Is that what this war was all about then?
1: Yes, it was really to do with Britain wanting to protect her interests in imperial India, you know, India at the time her most important colonial possession.
0: Now, as far as what the British did in this war in Afghanistan, none other than the great British general, the Duke of Wellington, said that, quote, there must have either been the grossest treachery or the most inconceivable imbecility and very likely a mixture of both. What happened to get this kind of comment from the Duke of Wellington?
1: Yes, I mean, uh, the Duke of Wellington predicted absolutely accurately that Britain's troubles would begin uh, when Britain's military successes ended. And he was absolutely right in pointing the finger at uh, imbecility the military leaders and the political leaders really didn't understand the situation that they had got themselves into. I was quite interested during the research to come across some comments by the leading British diplomat in Kabul who told off one of his colleagues for being very pessimistic about the British position. This colleague was starting to say, the British are in a very, very difficult, dangerous place. You know, we ought to be withdrawing. And he wrote to this official saying, no, no, um, I must encourage you to look at things with more what he called couleur de rose, you know, looking at things through rose-tinted spectacles. Mm. There was almost what I've called in the book... uh, taken from a comment by a recent British ambassador to Kabul, something of a conspiracy of optimism. The stage was reached in Kabul where there were so many vested interests, you know, the people who'd supported the policy in the interim, that they were very reluctant to tell the home British government that it was all going wrong.
0: Now, the British military finally decided to get out of Afghanistan in 1842. But uh, Diana, what on earth possessed them to agree to commence a retreat through savage mountain terrain in the middle of winter without adequate supplies of food and fuel?
1: As you say, uh, the British chose a very poor time to retreat with winter coming on really, really bitter winter sub-zero temperatures, but you have to look at what had happened in the preceding few weeks. The senior British uh, diplomat in Kabul who had been negotiating with the Afghan chieftains had been murdered and his body hacked up and displayed in the bazaar. The British themselves were pinned down in very indefensible barracks um, outside the main city of Kabul. I think they really regarded withdrawal as one of the very few options left open to them. And they put their faith in the promises they were given by the Afghan chiefs that they would be given protection. Uh, The chief said, look, so long as you withdraw out of our country and you go back through the passes and you... Withdraw from the other cities in Afghanistan that you've garrisoned. We will give you safe passage. That didn't happen.
0: Right, fifteen thousand plus uh, died on that passage, and only one survived the kind of getting across the other end of the the passes.
1: Absolutely, there was only one British survivor uh, who actually made it through to the fortress at Jalalabad, which is where they were aiming for. In the days that followed, um, some Indian soldiers managed to reach there. And also during the retreat, quite a number of Britons had been taken hostage. So they were later going to um, mostly survive. But of course, during the retreat through the passes, you have this tremendous carnage, particularly amongst the Indian troops. There were 4,500 British troops withdrawing, of whom about 80% were Indian troops. Um, Those Indian troops were not taken hostage. They were mostly just, just cut down or left to die. And there were also 12,000 camp followers, you know, men, women and children mm. who were just really left to perish in the snow or, or, or to be hacked to pieces. The carnage was terrible. And when eventually, you know, British troops went back through the passes to Kabul, they describe how their gun carriages just rolled over mountains of, uh, of bones and the remains of corpses.
0: Mm. Diana Preston, uh, I mean, the mega picture here is we're talking about Britain coming into Afghanistan to try and invest power in a pro-British king, fighting and failing to do that and then retreating and losing. I mean, the comparisons with the present day are not fully there yet, but starting to look similar for the U.S. You don't dig deep into those parallels in the dark defile, though. Why not?
1: what i wanted to do was to leave it for the reader to draw their own deductions i think there are some very clear messages which come through about the unwisdom of not having a clear exit strategy for example you know the british went into afghanistan with you know some idea of replacing one ruler with another and they had never really thought beyond that uh, they didn't know what was going to happen next i think there are also messages about understanding better the culture and the attitudes of the people in whose country you're intervening. And also in necessarily assuming that the institutions, the democratic structures say that we all value in the West, that those will necessarily be understood and immediately welcomed by everyone. And it's it's worth saying, and if you talk to Afghanis, they will see foreign interference in their country, whatever the motives and however well-intentioned it has been, as really just one long continuum. Mm. They see a clear relationship between what's happening today and what happened in
0: 1838. Diana Preston, the book is The Dark Defile, Britain's Catastrophic Invasion of Afghanistan, 1839 to 1842. Thank you very much, Diana.
1: Oh, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you.